Good morning again. I'm not sure if I introduced myself earlier. I am JD. I am one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1. We will be in verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 9. If you do not have a Bible, uh, usually there are one. Uh, there is one up under a seat somewhere around you. That is on page 658. 658, you will find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, early in, uh, in the 2000s, um, my wife and I were living in Greenville, North Carolina, a town about an hour and a half from here. And uh, we were... Uh, well, we had... We were in a good place. Jennifer had graduated from college at East Carolina University, and uh, I was working for UPS, and she was living out her dream as a uh, elementary school teacher. And uh, we just we had kids that were our, our boys at that time were four, two, and one. Uh, like many of you here, uh, we can we Jennifer and I know exactly what you're going through with uh, three kids, two or three kids around knee high level, uh, kind of <laughs> loving and and uh, figuring out how to how to how to hurt like herding cats, trying to keep up with all of them. That was Jennifer and I during that time. And, and uh, one of the things that was happening that time is that uh, I was working really long hours. It was a, it was a, I was working a lot, and I was not seeing the boys a whole lot. I was not in their life, in their life uh, quite a bit. I would, be, I would leave in the morning before, they would, uh, before I would see them, and I would actually get home after they were already in bed. And I felt like something was missing. Something, there's got to be something different here that, that I'm missing. And so Jennifer and I started to talk about what it would look like for me to step away from a, from a really high-paying, secure job uh, to go and to do something else. And so we started, we started praying that way. We started, we started um, to just kind of talk about what it would look like to do something different. Maybe, even, maybe it might even include us moving somewhere. And so, uh, so after much prayer and, and consideration and thought about how it would impact our family, we decided that that I would walk away from a, a good job at UPS, a very secure job with a good retirement and all that good stuff, and, and that we would move to Northern Virginia. And uh, in, and in doing so, um, we would be leaving my family behind. Someone, no one had ever uh, left from my particular family. We were, I was born and raised in Kenton, North Carolina. That's where most of our family lived. And my brother and us, we lived in Greenville, North Carolina, which is only about 30 minutes away. So... Fairly close proximity, and so when Jennifer and I we went to we went to my mom and dad's house, and we kind of just expressed, "Hey, here's here's what we're doing. Here's what we're desiring to do. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave UPS, and and we're going to do this thing." It was met with uh, much apprehension, uh, as you can imagine, uh, not just because we were leaving, but because you know, in, in 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 my father and mother's culture, you didn't leave a really good job to go and look for something else. You know, you stuck with that job and did it. Um, um, and so, after after about a month, uh, Jennifer and I received a letter in the mail, and it was a letter of concern from my from my dad, and it was a letter just stating all the reasons that he was concerned about me and walking away from the job and walking and doing something that was um, and doing something that he felt was just kind of a kind of a wrong move, like you know. And so he was just concerned for us. He was concerned for for me and how how we would provide for our family. 
And, uh, and I, the truth is, is I appreciated his concern. It was a three-page letter of things that we should consider. And I, I really appreciated his letter of concern. He, he started off his letter just with adoration, just with, hey, hey what you've already done, how, where you've, how far you've already come in life. Your, your three boys are, 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 are good boys. And, the, and, and just, uh, you know, the wife, you, you have a lovely wife and uh, how God has blessed you. And just those things. I was just really appreciative that he started off his letter with an adoration, with a letter of thanksgiving. So today, as we find ourselves in Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth out of a concern for them, out of concern for some of the things that they are making decisions in. Uh, what, what he sees and what we will see, if you, if you read through the book of Corinthians, is this things that they are they're heading in a, in a bad direction. Now, the Lord did some great things for us, so I'm not saying that it was the same kind of... Uh, we, Jennifer and I were not living in sin, um, but uh, the, the letter of concern is, is what we want to associate here with the letter from my dad, is that, is that he sends this letter of concern, but before he goes into all the concerns that he has for the church of Corinth... He starts off with thanksgiving, with adoration, with praise for them. And so as we read in 1 Corinthians, 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, we see where, where he is giving thanks to God for them. So the title of my sermon today is, Thank God for His Faithfulness. We thank God for His faithfulness, for His provision. And we'll see this in... Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. Let's read. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is a rich text. It is a rich text. There is much to pull away from. I could actually preach this one sermon, one verse at a time and break it up into five or six different sermons, but I will spare you that this morning. Here is my premise. Here is my main idea. premise is this. Give thanks to God for His grace found in Christ Jesus and for His faithfulness in sustaining us until the end. Give thanks to God for His grace found in Christ Jesus and for His faithfulness in sustaining us until the end. I have five points this morning that I'm going to draw from the text. My first point is this from verse, one, uh, verse, chapter, uh, verse 4. We thank God for opportunities to pray for others. We thank God for opportunities to pray for others. How often does Paul give thanks to the church at Corinth in our, in, our, in our verse this morning, verse 4. How often does he, does he give thanks for the church at Corinth? What does the text say? Always. Always. I give thanks to my God always for you. So brothers and sisters, we have the awesome privilege 
to communicate to God through prayer at any time, any place, under any circumstance, forever, how forever long or short as we have the time. We, we get to communicate with God. We get to pray to Him. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica to, to pray without ceasing. This means to be in continual conversation with God as we go about our day. That He would remain on the forefront of our minds and be the desire of our hearts. And when we pray, it demonstrates a, a humble submission to God that we stand in need of Him and His mercies, which are made new every morning. Believers are called to pray with faith, not doubting that God hears and desires to answer our prayers. We see beautiful examples throughout the Bible of saints praying to God in different forms. Some are calling out to God, seeking His favor. Some are pouring out their hearts to Him. Some are calling on the Lord for intercession and to act on their behalf. Some are crying out to heaven for revelation. You see, Jesus called His temple a house of prayer and no doubt expect, expects His church to do the same, to participate in this same way. Jesus Himself, as an example to us, prayed to the Father regularly and at times would pray all night for His disciples. What a beautiful example for us as Christians and followers of Him to pray in this way. To pray for others and pour out your heart and soul to God and to intercede on behalf of others is a gift that the Lord gives to us freely as Christians. See, Paul understood this. And he was always praying for the Corinthian church. Thanking God for them and His grace that was poured out to them. We know that Paul followed the example of Jesus in, in praying for others. Not only was Paul faithful in his prayer life of, uh, for those, of those he had devoted himself to, but he also called others to pray for him and for others. It is apparent by the various letters that he wrote to the churches he planted that he was constantly in prayer for them. He knew their needs. He knew their struggles. And he prayed for them that God would sanctify them, that they would turn from their sinful desires. So my question to you this morning is, do you desire to pray this way? Do you desire to lift up others and thank God for them? You thank God for their, for their salvation, for the grace of God to be poured out to them. Do you pray earnestly and fervently for those in the church? I pray and I hope that you do, but if you're like me, there are times when you find it hard to pray. Like, why do I pray? Where well, the good news in that is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us even when we don't know how to pray. But yet, we are called to pray. Always. We are to give thanks to God always for things and matters in our life. So if you, if you want to know a couple of ways that are tangible ways to pray, 
for others. In this church and the churches we are affiliated with, I'm going to give you a few things to, to specifically pray for. Maybe to, to give you some help in thinking through how can I pray? How can I be a person of prayer? How can I devote myself to this task of being obedient to pray for others? First, I would ask you just as members of this church to pray through the members list that we give out as a bookmark at every members meeting. You just recently, we just had a members meeting last Sunday. You should have gotten one of these. It lists all the members of our church. It is an amazing way to think about and look at the names that are on here and pray for our members list. So yes, it is a bookmark, but it is also a reminder to specifically be in prayer for the people in our body. And it may even be praying for people you don't like in the church very much. You see, Paul was praying for the Corinthian church. When he says, I thank, God to, I thank my God always for you, was interesting in that they were actually causing Paul grief. They were grieving Paul, the church was. But yet, he was praying for them. He was devoted in their time to, to pray for their unity. And so we pray for those that maybe have hurt us. But we pray for those in the church in really specific ways. As you know someone who is going through struggles, as you know someone that's going through trials, or you know someone that's going has a doctor's appointment this week to find out a medical circumstance, we are called to pray for them, and I pray, I hope that we seek out and pray for those in our church. A second way that we can pray is for our missional communities. This could be uh, praying for our community groups that meet throughout the week, it could be praying for evangelistic efforts as a church as we try to bring the gospel to those who are perishing. This could be praying for our needs-based ministry, whether that's meeting needs in the community or, um, or even meeting the needs of our church body. So we can just pray for our missional communities. And thirdly, you can pray for our efforts in church planting. The members just recently approved our budget where we are giving away a good chunk of our resources to church planting and efforts throughout the world. From Reykjavik, Iceland to Nicaragua to San Diego, California. We will get to hear from a couple this morning, the Lopes family, um, this, who, is, who is about to go to mainland Tokyo, Japan to spend a year and a half there. This is at the same time that we discussed at our last members meeting our desire to come alongside our sister church in Okinawa to see two new churches started by 2022. See, I don't believe this to be coincidence, but God is doing something there. You can be praying. You can be involved in all the aspects of our ministry as a church by praying to God for His grace and mercy to abound through it all. It is a privilege it is a beautiful aspect of our Christian walk that we get to come before the throne of grace of God freely to pray to Him, giving thanks always for how He has blessed us and praying for others. Praying for others. 
So my first point is that we would thank God for opportunities to pray for others. My second point is this. We thank God for His amazing grace. We thank God for His amazing grace. Why does Paul give thanks always for them? It says in verse 4, Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. It wasn't because they were awesome Christians who deserved to be lauded because as the rest of the letter reads, the church was not in a good place spiritually. No, He gave thanks for them because God had saved them from themselves. God had done the work. In Acts 18, when Paul initially went to Corinth to plant a church there, he was met with much resistance. Acts 18.6 says that they opposed and reviled him when he presented the gospel to them. But after the conversion of a guy named Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his entire household, God appeared to Paul. And here's what he told him. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So it goes on to tell us that Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months teaching the Word of God. That amazing grace of God is found in Jesus Christ. Through his efforts and the grace of God upon him, many came to saving faith of knowledge in Jesus Christ. You are here this, if you are here this morning, and you are not a Christian, that you, and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that I am glad that you're here. I am glad that you are here this morning. I'm not sure what brought you through those doors this morning. Maybe a, a friend invited you, or your parents made you come. Maybe you just wandered in because your soul is at unrest because of your sin. See, how you came to be here is really of no matter. But what is of matter is the status of your heart. The status of your heart. Maybe you're like the Jews at Corinth who opposed and reviled God. Maybe you're like the Bereans who, who need to be reasoned with and the Scriptures explained before you can believe in Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by the church and this is your last attempt to give God one more shot. Maybe you look at the church and think they are a bunch of hypocrites and you can never believe what they believe. If this describes you or if there is another reason you have not put your faith in Jesus and trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, then I want to tell you that there is hope. There is hope found in the amazing grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Even though the people of Corinth weren't searching for the gospel when it came to them, it came to them nonetheless. Maybe you're not searching for the gospel this morning, but here it is nonetheless. I don't want to sugarcoat the truth for you this morning. I don't think that's my job as a preacher and as a pastor. But Paul, when the people of Corinth reviled him, he shook out his clothes in disgust. 
He told them, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. And so my desire this morning is to be truthful to you this morning. So that I am found innocent when I have to give an account for the words that I preach this morning. As we sang the song Amazing Grace just a few minutes ago, I hope you noticed some of the words that the author of the song used to describe those who are without Christ. In the first verse, they are described as wretched, which means deeply distressed or miserable. They are described as lost, as being far from God. They are described as blinded by their own sin, much as Saul was in Acts chapter 9. This is the way the hymn writer presents those who are without hope because this is the way the Bible presents them. You see, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Your desire is to follow in this world and the desires and passions of your flesh. You see, we were born this way. We were born with the desire to be opposed to God by following our own paths of unrighteousness. See, spiritually we are blind and destitute, deserving God's wrath. We stand guilty before a holy and righteous judge for breaking God's law. Therefore, He must judge us for our sin. But God's grace is truly amazing grace. God being rich in mercy and the love for which He has for us. He showed us His unmerited favor, that is grace, by sending us a free gift of grace found in no one but Jesus Christ, His only Son. Although we are not deserving of this grace, that our wages of sin is death, God sent His Son to live a perfect life that you and I could never live. To die a death that we deserve to die. And then raised Him up from the dead in the same way that He will raise us up for all those who put their faith and trust in Him. You see, this is the Gospel. This is the good news that our sins are laid on Christ. And His righteousness is laid on us. And that this great exchange becomes ours not by works, but by faith alone. You see, there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. It is a free gift of God called grace that is extended to all who are seeking to call on His name and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. God is faithful and He is sure to save. That is the good news and that is the promise that God offers freely for those who are seeking salvation. For those that God is calling to Himself as we'll see in a minute. This is good news to those who are perishing. It is good news to us. So my fourth point is this. We thank God for opportunities to pray for others. And we thank God for His amazing grace. My third point is this. We thank God for His gracious gifts. Thank God for His gracious gifts. 
Look with me in verse 5. So he thanks my God always for the Corinthian church that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you... As, uh, not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the problem with the Corinthian church was not that they were lacking in any gift. It was the spiritual maturity to use these gifts in a way that would build up the church. If you turn over to uh, chapter 3, look what he says. Verse 1, Brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh. This is, this is hard for the church here that He's speaking to. Like I can't, even, I can't even come to you as spiritual people because you're too fleshly. Like the, your flesh is causing you to sin as a church. But I had to come to you as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. So Paul here, he commends them for their knowledge and their speech and their wisdom and the way that God has gifted them. He says in every way they were not lacking in any gift. God had blessed the Corinthian church with, with spiritual gifts in abundance, but yet not the maturity to live it out. I don't know about you, but I've met many people who were way more theological than I could ever be. Way smarter in quoting Scripture. Way smarter in reading it. Way, way smarter in how they could even articulate it. But they couldn't live it out. Spiritually, they could not figure out how to use what they had learned and apply it to their own lives. They could apply it to your life and my life, but not apply it to themselves. And so my question for you this morning, is that you? Do you know the Scriptures inside and out, but yet don't live spiritually walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Do you feel that you are being set apart from the rest of the world and not being conformed to this world, but being conformed and transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Romans 12.2 tells us? You see, we don't like the gifts, church. We have them. God has blessed us richly. That's what He's saying here. He has enriched you. He has been rich in blessing us. But yet, if we don't use our gifts to build up the church, to edify the church, they are wasted. They are wasted. Spiritually, we are still living on milk when God's asking us and encouraging us to go deeper, to hit meat, to grow in our wisdom and stature as Jesus did. So we thank God for His gracious gifts, but we must know how to apply them. 
We can't be like the Corinthian church who Paul says, it's like, hey, I can't address you as spiritual people because you're not living spiritual lives. Is your, li- is your life marked by spiritual growth? You have the words of wisdom. You have all the knowledge that you need. You're not lacking in any spiritual gift. But are you applying those things to the edification of your own lives, to the edification of others that we are members of one body with? That is what he's going to be talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. If you continue to read this, he's going to be talking about how this applies to them. Hey, you have all the knowledge, you have all the wisdom, but here's how, here's how it actually applies in your life. Do you desire that? Do you desire that? We thank God for His gracious gifts. So the opportunity to pray, we thank God for. We thank God for His amazing grace found in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we, find, we thank God for His gracious gifts that have been given to us, the church. Point four, we thank God for sustaining us until the end that we may be found guiltless. That we may be found guiltless. Look at verse 8. I'll continue on the last half of seven. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Robert Robert Harkness was a gifted Australian pianist who traveled the world in his 20s with the famous evangelist R.A. Torrey. One night at an evangelistic rally in Canada, Harkness met a young man. He was a recent convert who feared he might not be able to hold out, who might not be able to hold on to his faith. Harkness longed for the young man. He longed for countless others impacted by the revival meetings to have confidence deep in their souls that they're finishing the race and keeping the faith did not fall finally to themselves. He wanted this young man and others to know that God finishes what He begins. So what does it mean that God will sustain us? It means that He will strengthen us. That He will help us endure till the end. He will cause us to persevere through all the difficulty and trials we come against that we would grow stronger, that He would hold us fast to Him and not allow us to turn away from Him. A few verses that kind of help us in this is one from Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, this is Paul speaking, that He, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That He who started the work in you that brought about salvation in your lives will be sure to complete that work when we stand before Jesus. John 6 says this, 37-39, through All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. 
And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That Jesus assures us that He would lose nothing for those that would come to Him through salvation, that He would lose none of them. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He will establish you as God who will do the work in establishing us and helping us and sustaining us. Jude 24 is another one. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. It is God that helps us to walk faithfully. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely hold us fast. So how will He sustain us, yet provide us guiltless as we stand before a God who judges those in sin? So think about guiltless is that we stand in front of God free of guilt of our sin. It is when Jesus is on the cross in John 19.31, as he, as he surrenders His last breath, what is His dying last words? It is finished. It is the completed work of Christ that allows us to stand before God, stand before God, having to account for our sin, and Jesus stepping in front of us and says, No, I've I paid his or her debt. You can stand blameless before God because of Christ Jesus. Guiltless on that day when you do so, because of what God has done through his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus took the curse of our sin to the cross. And through His broken body and His blood that was shed on our behalf, Jesus accomplished the mission that was set forth all the way back in Genesis as Tom alluded to. The promise that was given all the way back in Genesis 3 that God would send someone that would crush the head of Satan was now being completed on the cross. So we can stand guiltless because of what God has done through Christ Jesus. What a blessing, what an amazing gift that we have from God to do this for us. My last point is this. We thank God that He is faithful and calls us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. We thank God that He is faithful and calls us into fellowship with Christ Jesus. God is faithful, verse 9. By whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you don't think that I make my points up, as you can see. They're pretty simple, right? Just follow the trajectory of the verse that goes. Man, that point five sounds an awful lot like verse 8, verse 9. Yes, it does. You see, in all this, in Paul's prayers, 
in God's grace, in His gifts, and is sustaining us in His mercy that makes us guiltless as we stand before God. God is faithful to provide. God is faithful. You and I, we, we, lack, we lack faithfulness actually. We might let you down. But God is faithful. He fulfills His promises in us. He desires our prayers. He extends His grace. He gives us good gifts for the edification of the church. He sustains us until the end that we may be found faithful as God is faithful. You see, this is God do, God's doing, not your own. It is God working in your life to reveal His faithfulness to you. That we would not trust in ourselves. That as God is faithful, that we would also remain faithful. And that He calls us into fellowship with Him as He is faithful. You see, calling is real when the believer has true fellowship with Christ. That's when the calling becomes real in our lives. This fellowship with Christ, however, demands a life of holiness in which a Christian is in body and soul conformed to the likeness of God's Son. As Charles Hodges put it, fellowship includes union and communion. Fellowship as union and communion includes both partaking of Christ's suffering and glory and belonging to the body of Christ. It means accepting the sacraments of Holy Communion. Remember that Christ died for us. Us doing that together, we celebrate in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with Christ Jesus. So we are united with Christ because God's faithfulness and we partake in that union with the Lord's Supper that we have here this morning. Remembering, celebrating what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. See, the Corinthians' fellowship with Christ began when they trusted Him as their Savior. But Paul's major concern in this epistle was that they would enjoy deeper, more intimate, more satisfying fellowship with Christ as they dealt with things that were actually limiting their fellowship. All of the problems in the Corinthian church and its needs that Paul addressed were hindrances to this fellowship. Christians have more or less fellowship with Christ to the extent that they trust and obey Him. Is there something that is limiting your fellowship with Christ? Is there something in this world that is pulling you away from being united and in deeper fellowship with Him? Do you want to enjoy a deeper, more intimate, more satisfying relationship with Christ? This is what it means to, be, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we would be in fellowship with Him. 
That we would read His Word. We would understand His Word. That we would desire to, to trust in Him. To be united with Him. To partake in Him. To obey Him. To follow Him. And that desire is rooted in us because God is faithful. And so again, I want to give thanks to God. We should give thanks to God for His grace found in Christ Jesus and for His faithfulness and sustaining us until the end. As your musicians get ready to come, or come. So go ahead, musicians, and come. I just want us to consider, if you're a Christian here this morning, do I desire fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do I trust that God is faithful? Do I give thanks to God for what He's done in my life and for others as well? Do I use my gifts for good in building up the church that I would grow spiritually through them and use them in a way that is worthy of the manner in which we are to walk? Do you trust that the Lord Jesus will sustain you until the end? Do you trust that even through trials and struggles that you would persevere and remain steadfast in faith? just want to remind you that God is faithful. And that through fellowship in Jesus Christ, you can trust in the promises of God. It helps us. It holds us fast. That God is able to do more than we could think or ask. And He is faithful in doing so. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a good and gracious gift we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we need reminders of the Gospel. We need reminders that, that God is faithful even when we are not, even when we are lacking in using our gifts rightly, even when we are not trusting in Him the way we should, even when we're not finding ourselves in right fellowship. That God is still faithful. And that He calls us to be faithful with Him. So Lord, help us. Help us to trust in Jesus. To walk in a newness of life. That would show that we are set apart from the rest of the world. Sanctifying us. Growing us and shaping and transforming us to your image. Jesus, we pray. Amen.